We're going to talk about identity in a, in a, in a few minutes, but before we do, uh, tonight uh, we're coming to Rosh Kadesh. Believe another month has been through, another month has passed. So as we are entering into this time, this is the, uh, uh, we're entering into the 10th biblical month, the month of Tevet. And as we're getting ready to round out, and can you imagine? Now, I know we're kind of in the midst of Hanukkah and everything right now, but turn around, it'll be Passover. <laughs> so again, it's just uh, more cycles and seasons that the Father has for us. And don't lose sight of where we're at and where we're going, because we need to pay attention to what the Father is doing in our midst and what He's doing in your heart and what He's doing in the nations as well, because that keeps us focused on uh, our job and our responsibilities. And so as we go through another month and another season, uh, it's easy to just kind of get caught in life as just kind of like, well, another day, another week, another month, and just another thing. But we need to be people to live with intent and with purpose, because you have purpose. And we need to show the Father's heart in that kingdom in everything that we're doing around us. It's what he's called you to do. The Father has restored you and redeemed you so that we can work re restoratively and redemptively in the earth. And he's going to use you to do that. Okay? So a couple things here. First off, on the Rosh Kodesh, Numbers 10.10, 10, says, On the days of rejoicing and at the designated times end on Rosh Kodesh, you are to sound the trumpets over the burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. These will be a reminder before your God. I am Adonai, your God. And Psalm 81.3 says, Sound the shofar at Rosh Kodesh and at the full moon for the pilgrim feast. We blew the shofars as we were starting off the service tonight. And uh, as the sun goes down too, I expect to hear shofars all over the city. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23 says, for just as the heavens and the new earth that I am making will continue in my presence, says Adonai, so will your descendants and your name continue every month on Rosh Chodesh and every week on Shabbat. Everyone living will come to worship in my presence, says Adonai. So question, when he says everyone living, what do you think he means? Yeah, everyone living. <laughs> everyone living. So again, just acknowledging not just the Moedim in Leviticus 23, but acknowledging the seasons, the months, the days, the years. It all works together. And uh, even from month to month, the Father says, we are all to gather and worship before Him as we close out one chapter and entering into another. And we all do it dedicated to Him. Amen? Okay, so let's do, uh, do the traditional blessing for the Rosh Kodesh. If we could stand as we bless and pray for, the, pray for the Father to continue to bless. The prayer first in the Hebrew and then in the English reads, Yehi ratzon melchanecha Yahweh Eloheinu ve'elochei ovatenu. Shitchodesh aleinu et chachodesh hazeh letova ulevracha. Letiten lanu chaim arochim, chaim shal shalom, chaim shal tova, chaim shal bracha, chaim shal parnasa, chaim shal chalutz atzmot, chaim shal esh bahem v'yerat shamayim v'yerat het. Chaim shal im bochim busha ulchama. Chaim shal osei lokavod. Chaim shete banu ahavat Torah veyirat shemaim. Chaim sheyimla Yahweh mishalot levanu letova. Amen. Selah. In the English, may it be your will, Yahweh our God and the God of our forefathers, that you inaugurate this month upon us for goodness and for blessing. May you give us long life, a life of peace, a life of goodness, a life of blessing, a life of sustenance, a life of physical health life in which there is fear of heaven and fear of sin, a life in which we will have the love of Torah and the fear of heaven, a life in which our heartfelt requests will be fulfilled for good. Amen. Selah. May the Holy One, blessed is He, renew it upon us and upon all His people, the family of Israel, for life and for peace. 
for joy and for gladness, for salvation and consolation, and let us say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to talk a little bit about identity, about things that are concealed and things that are revealed. You know, I I think one thing it's safe to say is that, uh, you know, we're all in different places of our walk. We're all in different places of what the Father has revealed to us and our understanding of different passages of Scripture and different things that we encounter. But everybody is at different points. Okay, so we, where are we at along on these lines, you know? And, and once you get to a certain point, you start to understand you've been renewed. And see, once, we, once we're born again, once we're redeemed, see, we understand the old things have passed away, all things become new, but what's all things? Are you literally something new? Yes, yes, you are. And so we have to learn how to live in this new identity that the Father has given us. See, a lot of times we let the world dictate us, to us who we're supposed to be, and we let the world shape who they want us to be. I, I declare to you this, let us not be taking from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because even though there's good on it, yeah, there's evil on it too. We need to be searching the tree of life. We need to be giving what the Father has taught us in that, okay? We need to be listening to the heart of Yahweh and saying, what has He revealed to us who we are? And that's how we need to live. Throughout the entirety of Scripture, there are things that are constantly covered over, waiting for the times for them to be revealed. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but as the honor of kings is to search them out. Yahweh has put things in His Word, just kind of covered them over. It's not like it's not there. It's just there are some things there that you're not going to get unless you dig a little bit. You know, there's many reasons why we can look and say why this is done. One of which is because if you're not going to dig for treasure, you're not going to get treasure, okay? And sometimes there's treasure that is hidden that you have to be willing to dig for. If you're not hungry, you're not going to eat it, right? <laughs> it's like this, you know, you can, you, can, you can fill yourself up with junk all day long, and then when something that's good and nourishing put in front of you, you're not going to want it because you've had all the junk, Okay? Are you willing to do the good things? Are you willing to search for the good things? Are you willing to dig where the Father is said to dig? Okay? Again, at the right time, Yahweh reveals things to us. The question is, are we going to have the ears to hear it, the eyes to see it, the heart to receive what is being said? And remember, this is what was said in Isaiah as well, right? It says they're seeing, but they don't see. They're hearing, but they don't hear, right? That's not for us, guys. That's not who we want to be. We want to be ones to hear what the Father is saying, to see what He wants us to see, and and receive with our open hearts what He is revealing to us. Because there are some things that, let's just say, you're not ready to hear until you're at a certain point in your life. You know, there are some things in your life you're not ready to do or to examine or to do certain things until certain points in your life. That's why there are like age restrictions on things. You ever think about that? Like, in many places, you don't start driving till when? And even that's debatable. <laughs> you know, you don't give the two-year-old the keys to the car. Say, have fun, kid, see you later. No. You know, so there are certain things that you just, you might not be ready for until certain times. In other words, prerequisites. You have to know certain things before you can learn certain other things. Okay. You got to know your ABCs before we can learn to put words together, <laughs> right? So it's foundational tools and foundational things. The basis of everything that we're saying today is 
Old things have passed away, all things become new. Once you are in Messiah Yeshua, once you have been redeemed, you are new. No longer who you thought you were. You need to learn who the Father says you are because that's going to change your life completely. Okay? Now, some things we're going to cover along the way, you're going to be like, how does this fit? And how is this relevant? It'll, we'll get there. Okay? One of the things I want to point out is, uh, I, think, I think we did it last week. I'm not exactly sure, you know. Uh, sometimes the, the week from week to week kind of blends for me, okay? But we recently talked about, in Luke, uh, the men that were on the road to Emmaus. And after Yeshua's crucifixion, resurrection, these men are walking along the way, and they're talking about all these things that recently happened. And, and don't you know things were supposed to happen this way? If he was the Messiah, you know, I believe he was. And if he's the Messiah, then where's the ruling kingdom? I mean, they killed him. What's going on now? What are we going to do now? Everything that I've thought and everything that I've believed, I don't know what to think now. And then something amazing happens. Yeshua appears to them. But what happens next? Scripture says it. It makes a point. But they didn't recognize him. See, can you imagine the very one that you're talking about, the very one that gave you life, the very one who rose from the dead, who conquered death, hell, and the grave is standing right in front of you and you're talking to him about who you thought he was supposed to be and what he didn't do. <laughs> and I, I, I'm just thinking, and I mean, if I could just be like looking on, I could just kind of picture him in the back of his head going, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> and so then he, he starts with, the, the Torah, he starts with Moses and the prophets and reveals who the Messiah is, what the Messiah is to do. Starting with the Torah and the prophets, building the foundation. Well, this is what the Messiah was coming to do and what's going to happen. And this is what happens next. And this is just systematically going through the whole thing. And I can imagine just one point and one point and one point. And these guys are going, oh. and they're like, we, we got to continue this conversation. Come back and eat with us, man. We, I mean, I, I just... Let's spend as much time as you want. Crash at the house for a few days. We, we got to talk, right? They go back and Yeshua sends and he, opened, he, he blesses, makes the blessing for the bread, breaks the bread. Their eyes were opened and he disappeared. <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine? We saw him. Where did he go? <laughs> I bet their lives were different from that point on. Because at that point, they were ready to hear what they needed to hear. And those things that were hidden, that were literally standing right in front of them, they, they got to the point where their hearts burned within them. Their hearts, we can't take it anymore. You have got to tell us the truth. You have got to tell us more. They were so hungry for what Yahweh was revealing that they couldn't help but see it. Are we the same way? Are we so hungry for what Yahweh is doing in our lives and doing in our midst and what He's doing right in front of us that, that maybe we don't see, but are we just so, oh, I've just got to see what the Father's doing. Because guess what? When you get to that point, you're going to see it. He's going to reveal it to you. Okay, And as we go step by step through that. Okay, So let's start with Psalms. Psalms 83, 1-4, a song or psalm of Asaph. Keep not silent, O God, hold not your peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have, have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted against your, what? Hidden ones. It's interesting that he says your people are your hidden ones. Are they hidden? No, not really. But why would it say that they're hidden? They're hidden ones. It's, it's the, in the Hebrew 
Let's see if I can see this because it's a little small writing up there for me up there. It's Al uh, Zifanecha. Zifanecha. The word is Zafan that's being used there. You may have heard it's Zafania, like the name Zafania, like the prophet. Zafania means Yah has secreted. Zafan means to hide by covering over. So we're talking about a whole people who are hidden, a whole people who are covered over. They're there, they're his, but you can't see them. Who could he be talking about? I, I, I submit to you this. Maybe it's talking about they don't see them because they don't quite know who they are yet. They're his, but they can't quite see who they are. Verse 4, they have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. The name of Israel may, may be no more in remembrance. See this? The adversaries of Yahweh are seeking to hide the people of Israel from being a nation, and they are hidden in the nation. Now, if you've been around for a while, you kind of know automatically what we're looking at. If you are born again, redeemed, as Galatians 3 says, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. You are brought in to be part of a people and a nation of people called Israel, who is a collective of people from the nations gathered in as one people before Yahweh, a people who are set in a place of covenant before him. And this is not just uh, one thing. This is what is seen actually from the Torah, starting in the book Bereshit, starting in the Torah, going all the way through Revelation. Throughout the entirety of it, we see Yahweh has a people set apart called by His name. And these are a people that were in all the world, but called out of the world in the ways of it to be gathered in as one before Him. But they're hidden. Because one of the reasons why this is important, many reasons, one reason why this is important is because if you do not see yourself as a person being redeemed and born again, as having a part and a share and equal in with Israel, not replacing anyone, but if you don't have, have an understanding of you are joined to Israel, then and when Scripture says all nations will come against Jerusalem, where are you going to be in? Because he says all those who came against Jerusalem, he's going to destroy. And when all nations come against Jerusalem, what nation are you going to stand with? See, if you don't have an understanding and a heart as Israel, not just saying Israel, just the place itself, but understanding this is part of who you are, this is part of your identity with him, then you're not going to care. I mean, at the very least, you're not going to care. And then, and then if, you're, if you're not careful, you can be caught up in, in hype and come against it. You don't want to come against the people of Yahweh because Yahweh will defend us, okay? So we've got to be careful how we do this. If you are new, why are we so, much, so hard trying to hold on to who we were? See, you can't hold on to what the Father is telling you as something new and redeemed and born again. I've got some new things that I want to show you. This is my heart that I'm giving you. But we're so hard trying to say, yes, Yahweh, I'm yours. Hold on a minute. I'm going to take care of this first. See, if we're new, we got to learn how to live with him in that new life. Okay. Moving on. Luke 10, 21 to 24. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He said, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except for the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Hmm. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Yeshua turned to his disciples and said, there's so many people who want to see and hear what you see, they didn't get the chance or the opportunity. 
don't take, don't lose sight of what is in front of you. Don't lose sight of what the Father has already revealed to you. Okay? Don't take, don't, uh, don't disregard what He is already drawing you to. Okay? Learn to walk with Him and continue to grow in the heart that He has set before us. Ephesians 3, 8 and 9 says, To me, the least important of all God's holy people was given the privilege of announcing to the Gentiles the good news of the Messiah's unfathomable riches and of letting everyone see how this is going to work out. A plan that's kept hidden for ages by God, the creator of everything. Was it a secret? Did Yahweh say, I'm not going to tell you, but later down the road, I might redeem some people. Was that a secret? It wasn't a secret that was revealed right after the fall. Okay, so that that, that in and of itself was not a secret. What is secret is these things that have been hidden in the understanding of people in the nations of how Yahweh is going to do this. Not that he's going to do it, but how. And ultimately, Yahweh is saying, all who come to him will be redeemed. All who call out to him will be redeemed. The question is, once we've been redeemed, how do we learn to live? Okay, do we say, I've been redeemed, continue to do our own thing? Or we say, I've been redeemed, now I need to learn the Father's heart toward me and how he wants me to walk with him. Okay, if he, if he says, I'm walking this path, why do we say, that's a great path, but I kind of like this one over here better, but I'm still with you. Can't do it. Okay, we need to walk on the path that he is on. We want to walk hand in hand with him, right? So that's what we've got to learn to do. Yeshua said in Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Guess what he meant when he said that? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> okay? And, and how would this be relevant? Because, again, because you are a people, wherever you are in the world, you've been scattered. And Yahweh is calling his people back. The good shepherd is calling back his sheep. Yeshua says, my sheep hear my voice and... They follow me. And if we're going to follow our good shepherd, again, we kind of need to walk with him on the path. So what path did he walk? We need to learn to do the things that he did. I, th- I find it funny, I mean, ironic even a little bit, how people will, you will like wear the bracelets, you know, remember, I don't know if they still do, but a few years ago it was a big thing, right? You know, the, the what would he do bracelets and stuff like that. And, and they don't stop to think about it. You know, what did he do? Um, let's see. I mean, you always want to talk about like the signs, wonders, and miracles. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, these things will follow them who believe. There's nothing wrong with that. I do believe that. But when it comes to the little things, why are we always thinking of like the big grand things? How about the little things? How about, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on Shabbat. As his custom was. You know what it means when someone says it's a custom? It's frequent. It was just the way he did it. Or... For the Moedim, he was present. He honored, he kept. So again, we need to follow our shepherd. If he is our shepherd, then we need to learn to do the things he did, right? So more. Talking about stories of concealing and revealing. Many cases that we see throughout the scripture, okay? Uh, Sarah, okay? (laughs) Sarah is like Abraham when he goes and he's walking one place to another. He's like, no, that's my sister. Was it? No. Her, her identity was covered over. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear. They were scared that they would kill Abraham and take Sarah. So because of fear, they covered up her identity, concealed her identity. How about Rivka? When she went and returned with Eliezer and she saw 
her husband off in the distance. She said, who is that? He said, that is my Lord. What, what did she do? She covered herself. And then when she was presented to him, she uncovered herself. And then they became one. Again, a concealing and revealing. Yaakov, story of Yaakov and Asaph. He concealed and covered over himself to make it seem like he was Esau's to get a, a blessing. Leah, you know the story? Yaakov went off and he worked all these years for his bride. And when the time came, yeah, that's Leah, right? Her identity was concealed and covered over. Tamar, Tamar, her identity was covered over in the, in the issue with uh, Yehuda, right? Yosef, is he Egyptian or is he not? Esther, you know the story of Esther? You know, Esther wasn't her real name. Hadassah. And what about Yeshua? A few levels there too, isn't it? The way that Yeshua has been presented historically over the years may not exactly be who he said he is. We need to examine things and look at them. Who does he say he is? You know? And it is coming at the right time to be revealed. Scripture says that at the right time, God sent forth his son. Even in that, at the right time, Yeshua came. Not, not a year earlier, not a year later. At the right time, Yeshua came in. Let's talk about a few things, especially in, in relationship to identity being covered over and being brought. One of the uh, largest areas that we see something like this is in relationship to Yosef, because the last four parsha of the book of Genesis is all about Yosef and his family, right? So it's, they talk more about him than they do any other character in the book of Genesis. Think about that for a minute. That's a big deal, isn't it? Okay, so what does what it have to say about it? So Yaakov, uh, Yosef had many choices to make along the way, okay? So in life, there are a lot of choices to make. You have choices to make. But now we get into a question, okay? Free will or providence? Really? You know, what, what do you believe? And, and boy, there's debate after debate after debate after debate about this, right? You know, is it free will, providence, predestination? What is, what's the big deal with all this? I'm not going to get into all that today, okay? But I will go into this. He was a piece of the puzzle. He was a piece of the prophecy that was for the descendants of Abraham. When Yahweh spoke to Abraham, he said, your descendants will be like the, the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky, and uh, they will also go down into a nation that is not theirs. They'll be there 400 and then they're going to, to be enslaved, but I will redeem them and I will set them free. So now we get to, to Yosef, and guess what? Because of Yosef and because of the famine and because of the wisdom that Yahweh gave Yosef, all the world went to Mitzrayim to get bread that gave life. And even Pharaoh, when they would come to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would say, hey, go to Joseph, do what he says. Okay, so all of this coming together, Yosef would be the one literally to save the world. And because of what God did there, all Israel ended up in Mitzrayim. And they became a family, they grew, and they became a great mighty people. And then there became a, a Pharaoh who did not know Yosef. Okay, and then they ended up taking them over and enslaving them. Was that all coincidence? Yahweh told Abraham. This is what's going to happen. So do you think when this was happening, Yosef was saying, I wonder if, I bet you he had no idea. But yet, because of Joseph, he was an integral part of that puzzle of, of all Israel coming to Mitzrayim and fulfilling this prophecy that Yahweh gave to Abraham that he is going to do in his life. So was it free will or providence? 
Rabbi Akiva, speaking from uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Akiva states this, um, all is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is given. Okay, can these two coincide? Yes, yes they can. If God knows in advance that we're going to do X, then we're not free to not do it. <laughs> if, on the other hand, we are genuinely free, then no one can know what we will choose before we choose it. The apparent paradox arises because of the nature of time. We live in time. God lives beyond it. Okay? Different time perspectives allow for different levels of knowledge. Make sense? And not exactly the same thing, but even in relationship to parents and children. There are things that you as a, as a parent know that, is, that, that your two-year-old does not. You've been around longer. You have more experiences. You've seen more things. You've experienced a few things. Even though the child thinks it might know, might know better at the minute, it doesn't. You know things you know beyond what it does. Now consider, in an infinite scale, <laughs> what Yahweh knows more than us. So we need to just trust Him. And we need to hear His voice in the midst of these things. Okay? Not all decisions in life is easy, but we need to follow what the Father is putting in front of us to do. So the Torah shows us how a later event can force us to reinterpret an earlier one. You ever been through something in life where in the midst of it, you're, you're in the midst of a situation, you're, you, you think you're doing the right thing, but then later after the fact, you look back on it and go, yeah, I should have done that different. You ever been there? Yeah. What's that called? Hindsight. <laughs> Guess what? Yahweh doesn't need hindsight. He knows. Okay? We have to understand. We see things as the present and in high sight. We cannot see what will be. So we have to trust, all right? Things that we perceived may not be as we interpret them to be. And so we have hindsight and current at present and now. So we need to learn to, to trust the Father and what He is calling us to. We have the choices to make in any of these things. We are free to make the choices, okay? But we are also characters in a divinely scripted drama. <laughs> Yahweh has us in life, and He has things that He desires for us to do, and He will put us in, in position to accomplish the things that He wants to accomplish. We have to yield ourselves to Him to do that, because we can choose to listen or we can choose to not. And this is where the thing comes in. We choose, but we're also chosen. Yahweh chose you to live your life, to run the race that is set in front of you. And because of that, you don't know how far-reaching the impact of your life may be. Do you think Yosef, as he was in prison, thought, you know, one of these days, I'm going to be the ruler of all the land, second only to Pharaoh. I bet it was never a thought, okay? So we live between these frames of reference, between freedom and providence, our decisions and God's plan. We just need to hear his voice in this. Proverbs 16.9 says, a person may plan his path, but Adonai directs his steps. Make your plans, okay? But give Yahweh the latitude to change those plans, okay? We plan for what we can and for what we can do and foresee. I know Yeshua says, you know, well, don't worry about tomorrow, you know, because each day has its own problems, right? <laughs> and, uh, but, but yet we do need to make a plan for our life. We do need to follow through with that. But we need to let Yahweh adjust that as need be, okay? 
Romans 6, 16 to 18. It says, Don't you know that if you present yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, then to the one whom you are obeying, you are slaves, whether of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to being made righteous. By God's grace, you who were once slaves to sin obeyed from your heart the pattern of teaching to which you were exposed. And after you have been set free from sin, what does it say next? You were enslaved to righteousness. Interesting phrasing, isn't it? But it's the truth. You either, and, and to paraphrase it, that which you submit yourself to, that's who you are. So are you going to submit yourself to Yahweh, His ways, His plans, His life, His word, or are you going to submit yourself to the world and the ways of it and, and the old nature and those things? What you submit yourself to is who you are daily by daily by daily reinforcing in your life, and that's who you're becoming. Okay? So that's why it's important to daily set your eyes and your ears to Yahweh and His life, His word, His people, His things. Okay, Because that's going to reinforce who He is calling you to be. And if we listen, He will mold us into that. Okay? Job 33, 14-18. So uh, God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, and he opens their, the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from uh, perishing by the sword. You know, it's funny because, you know, sometimes people, people, <laughs> I gotta be careful how I say this. Sometimes people will get real proud for the fact that God gave them a dream. Now, is there anything wrong with God giving you a dream? Absolutely not. Joseph was proud that Yahweh gave him dreams. How did that affect his relationship with his brothers? Was there anything wrong with his dreams? No. Were they from Yahweh? Yes. Did Joseph handle it the best way in the relationships with his family? No. <laughs> so it's not about the dreams. It's about uh, Joseph needed to grow up a little bit. Really, that's what it comes down to. Joseph needed to grow up a little bit, mature a little bit, and, and to grow a little bit in his life to be able to, to handle that. And again, Yahweh worked all that out. But when, when, if, if Yahweh gives you a dream, sometimes just consider, maybe, and this is not all the time, so I'm not speaking in absolutes, but sometimes consider, would he have told you if you would have stopped and sought him during the day? Or is it the nighttime the only time he could catch you? You know, people are like, well, I can't, hear, I can't hear the voice of God. How often are you listening? How often are you turning off everything else and seeking him? If the only time Yahweh can reach you is in a dream, I want to be careful. I want to intentionally make time. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or evil or bad. I'm just saying maybe we should stop and focus on time with him without distraction. And if nothing else, it's going to help build relationships, Right? To hear his voice is vital, especially in this day and age, right? So Genesis 41, 14. So what happened with Yosef? So Yosef was in the prison. Pharaoh has dreams. So again, were these dreams from God? Yes. Yahweh gave dreams to this pagan and God used him. Just saying things we need to consider as well. Yahweh can use who he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Don't discount someone or something just because, you know? So Pharaoh has dreams. And he tries to get his wise guys to interpret them. Literally, literally, his wise men literally interpreted as magicians, astrologers. Tries to get them to interpret the dreams. And, uh, and they couldn't do it. And at this point, the one who's standing next to Pharaoh, the cupbearer, says, uh, well, what do I do here? 
Because remember, he was reinstated. Yosef told him he was going to be reinstated because he had dreams. And then uh, he gets here before Pharaoh. He says, when you go, when you go before Pharaoh, remember me. It's been a couple years now. And now he conveniently remembers. I think this is more along the lines of, no, he remembers now because now if he withholds that information, he's going to lose his head. Because Pharaoh's looking for someone to interpret the dreams and this guy's like, I know a guy, do I say anything? I'm going to keep it quiet. No, no, you better speak up, right? And he does, and he speaks up. So now what happens, and it's really interesting because he says, I know this Hebrew that was down with us in the prison and uh, he could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's like, well, go get the guy. So what happens? So they go, they rush off, and they go and they get him. And he was quickly brought before prison. And, and again, we think about this. He was quickly brought and got, got out of prison. He was brought right before Pharaoh. Is that exactly what happened? No. He was quickly grabbed, brought out, dunked in some water, changed his clothes, shaved them quickly. <laughs> Can you imagine being shaved quickly? <laughs> That's a little scary if you ask me. But here they go, and they get him, and they do all this quickly, and then they get him in front of him. Why would they feel the need to do all that? I mean, I understand, clean him up a little bit, okay? But shave him? Get rid of his clothing that, that would give any resemblance that he may have been Hebrew? They put him before an Egyptian king, and he had to look Egyptian to come before him. And further, if he's going to interpret the dreams, I put it this way, he kind of had to look the part, right? Because if Pharaoh in Pharaoh's court... If he goes before him and they don't respect this guy, yeah, they're not going to listen to him. So he had to like immediately have the respect once they walked in the room. This guy can interpret dreams and he walks in the room and he looks like a Hebrew. Beard, be wearing teeth, right? Remember, scripture says the Egyptians abhorred Hebrews. They didn't like shepherds either, right? Why are they bringing this shepherd in here in front of us? Right? And again, I think this is one thing where Yahweh was using... The inclination of these people to establish what he wanted to happen. So again, he comes in. In Genesis 41, 14, again, Pharaoh knew that he was Hebrew. Yosef was made to look Egyptian. The people of Egypt clothed the one, think about this, they clothed the one who would end up being the savior of the world to look like an Egyptian. He no longer looked Hebrew. They've heard the terminology, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. Messiah, the son of Joseph, meaning the, the suffering Messiah. He would be one who would be the one who would save the world, the one who would cause the world to be saved, give the bread of life to all. He's Hebrew, but he looks Egyptian. They don't know who he really is because he's speaking Egyptian. In their mind, he's speaking Egyptian. He's looking this apart. He, this, is, this is not who he is, but guess what? At the right time, he revealed himself as his true identity and who he really was. And who did he reveal it to? His brothers. The ones who he had the relationship. I'm going to put it this way. The ones who he was in covenant with. Masks, people. That's what we're talking about. Masks. Even the word for mask is something that we can relate to. The word person. What is a person? We are people. I am a person, right? But where does that word come from? You know the word person is associated with mask? No wonder why people like wearing masks. Look, the word person entered into English via the Latin persona means mask. Originally signaled a part played by an actor on a stage in a culture. Hellenism. 
in which the theater played a central part or portrayal of the human condition. It then became a role played by the individual within society because of the metaphor of society as theater. And it was then generated to mean any individual within society. So when we say person, the idea is who you look like, how you are represented. Is that who you really are? Another interesting thing, uh, and forgive me for the time frame in this, I cannot remember, but we're talking historically. Um, I think it was the Greeks. If you were an actor and in theater, you were forbidden to vote. You know why? Because you were a professional liar. You were, you were portraying yourself as something and someone else, and you were good at it. So why do we wear masks? Because we are portraying ourselves as somebody else. That's not what the Father wants us. We need to take off the mask and, and to see who He has created us to be. So back to Genesis 41, 49. So because of what happened, Yosef was put into a place of authority. Then it says that Yosef gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he caused ceased counting for it was without number. Interesting phrase. He gathered as much grain as the sand of the sea. Where else have we heard that terminology? When Yahweh was speaking to Avram, he said, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. And why would that phrase be used? I mean, why would you say he gathered grain like the sand of the sea? This seems like two completely different things, right? I do believe this is hinting at this. Because even the word for, for grain, the word bar that's used there for grain, even the word there for grain is associated with sons. Bar is the Aramaic for son. So he gathered the sons as the sand of the sea. The sons of whom? The sons of Abraham. As Scripture said he would. Again, it's another prophecy of Joseph as a Messiah figure who would gather in from all the world like the sand of the sea. In Hosea 1, 10 and 11. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as what? The sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there, it will be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, and great shall be the day of Israel. Again, we're talking about gathering together all Israel, all the tribes, all in together as one, and they shall appoint one head. Who's that going to be? It's Yeshua. It's the Messiah. Moshiach ben David. It's, it's who he has said he is. And so again, interesting as well, because the Hoshia was writing to the tribes. And so many of the prophets were as well. If you don't have an understanding of Israel being scattered into the nations, then you're really not going to see much prophetically when the prophets are talking about all the tribes coming back and being restored and gathered in as one people. You're not going to really catch that. But, but most of the prophets that were writing these was, was writing to just that fact. But you're not going to hear much people talking about that. You know why? Because it's not popular. Because it's kind of controversial. Because it doesn't sell. But it's the, that's what the Father is calling us to understand. That we as a people are a people with, and we are called to stand with and as a part of that people that He has called out from. Genesis 42.5 So when His brothers come before Him, interesting, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine in the land it was in the land of Canaan. The famine was very severe. And so they went to the one that would give them life and give them bread and give them hope and give them what they needed. And the, another interesting thing is this is the very first time in Scripture the phrase sons of Israel is used. And again, if you're looking at the, at the story of Yosef as a Messiah figure, you have a picture of 
the sons of Israel, all the sons of Israel, he was collecting wheat, the sons of Israel, all coming in to stand before him and he would give them life. But before they would do that, they would have to swear allegiance to him. Because understand, like, like we, we, you hear about the story, but there's some things that get overlooked. Okay, and it's not popular and it's, it's like, oh, wow, did he really do that? Yeah, he really did. Because what happened is in the seven years, how did, how did they collect from the people? Was it voluntary? No, in the seven years of plenty, they taxed people. I know that's a dirty word, right? <laughs> but in the seven years of plenty, they taxed the people and they gathered it all together. They collected it all up and they set it all up where it was to be. And then we read in the, in the years of famine, when the time was needed, then they opened up the storehouses. But they don't, they, it's not what we think because we think they opened up all the storehouses and other people just went and got it. And everything was just so great, right? It's not exactly the way it happened. Because when they opened up all the storehouses, Joseph sold them back the grain. And, and because of the, how they did this, they systematically, plot by plot by plot, obtained all the land in Egypt. Because guess what happened? When, they, they, when all, their, all their earnings were gone and they had no money left, but they still needed grain, they still needed bread, they still needed food, they would go to Joseph and Joseph like, it's going to cost you this much, I don't have that, what do you got? I got my land. All right, we'll take it. Here's your grain. They come back, okay, what do you got? Nothing but us. Great, here's some seed, go work the land. <laughs> so again, because of this, he, he, they, they swore allegiance to Yosef and he grew Mitzrayim and he became owner of everything. Okay, And ultimately, step by step, revealing uh, the people that would come to him. All right, so what happens? Scripture says that all nations would end up coming to him. Mitzrayim was a superpower because of this. In Zechariah 8, 22 and 23, it says, So many people and strong nations shall come to seek Yahweh Tzavahot in Jerusalem and to pray before Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Tzavahot, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of the languages of all the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So a couple things here. One, who's the Jew they're grabbing hold of? Why are they grabbing hold of the hem of his garment? Because that's where his what is? Okay, and so they're grabbing hold. Who is this Jew they're grabbing hold of? I believe it's Yeshua. And further, how can you have 10 men representing all nations? The only way to make that fit is the 10 tribes who were scattered in all the nations. Because normally when you talk about nations in the scripture, it's 70 represented by the 70 nations of the world, right? No, here it says 10 in all the nations. All languages will grab hold of one who is a Jew. What's happening here is just where Yeshua said, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's saying that I have come to get all those that are scattered in all the nations who, who were sown like seeds into all the world, like Deuteronomy says, and that he would call them all back to return. And as Ezekiel says, and all those joined with them to come back together, one people of covenant, to serve one God, have one king and one land. And it's all happening. Genesis 42.7. So Joseph saw his brothers and they recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, and they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Yosef recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Interesting phrasing there as well. Yosef recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize Yosef. How about today? Yosef being categorized by the people of Yahweh in all the nations who are to, still waiting to be gathered together into one. Yosef recognizes her brothers, but the brothers don't recognize Yosef. You still see as different entities. You cannot say, be careful how I say this, 
because you can't say it. <laughs> you cannot say there is one God for the Jewish people and one God for the Christians. And then further, how does Yahweh himself define himself as who he is? Remember about the whole burning bush incident? Yahweh told Moshe, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers, this is who I am, this is my name, and this is how I am to be remembered forever. So if you serve the one true God, you serve the God of Israel. And if that upsets you, consider your heart. Yosef recognizes his brothers. Do his brothers recognize? Micah 2.12 says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, and will gather the remnant of Israel, and I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock from the pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Ezekiel 28.25 says, Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, and they shall dwell in their own land that I give to my servant Jacob. Again, it says that they are in the nations and then I will gather in the sight of all the people of the nation. It's happening, but it's going to happen on a larger scale. So again, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Where else do we see something like this happening? Again, if you go with Yosef as a Messiah figure, we are given the example of Yeshua coming to his own and his own did not recognize him. Of the light of the world coming into the earth, the light of the world, the one who created everyone, came into this earth and they didn't recognize him. You see in John 1, 10 and 12, he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world knew him not. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become what? Sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So again, we have the pictures of covering over and revealing. Covering over and revealing. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. You may have heard this before. I once was blind, but now I... Yes, that's it. Because we didn't understand. We didn't have the eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to see. But yet Yahweh is saying, though you were blind, I will make you see. Because I will open your eyes. And then Yeshua, what Yeshua said he came to do, I came to open the blind eyes. So he says, I will bring the blind by a way that they did not know. And I will lead them in paths that they have not known. And I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. And these things I will do to them and not forsake them. Now, the interesting thing here is when you look in the Hebrew, because it says, Vehalakti ivrim bederech lo yada'u. So this word here, ivrim, is from the word avar, spelled ein vav resh, which means blind. Okay, but yet it's very closely associated etymologically with avar, which means Hebrew. What's the difference? It's ein bet resh. The difference is, what's vav mean? The vav means and. It's a connector. It's a joining to something. So if we t if we take that that vav and we put the house there, what are we supposed to be joined to? To be with him, joined to his house. We're joined with him. And so if we do that, then we are crossed over from, from death to life. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. We are now something new. We have been redeemed, also called Hebrew. Though you were blind, now you see. How do you see? Because you can now enter his house. So in order for reconciliation between these brothers to occur, what needs to happen? So we have Yosef and his brothers and his brothers and Yosef. In order for true reconciliation to happen between these two, what needs to happen? Is it just one-sided? No, it's two-sided. What has to happen? Yosef has to be able to change his opinion and his attitude towards his brothers. What would he be thinking? You beat me up, you threw me into a pit, 
you sold me into slavery. It's okay. And the brothers, consider, Scripture says that they, were, they hated him so much, they were not able to speak peaceably to him. Joseph has to change how he views his brothers. But the brothers also have to change how they view. In other words, they both have to change how they viewed and received. God had to do a work there in all of them. There could be many reasons why Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. I mean, first off, they didn't know he was in Egypt. They didn't know where he would go, right? They believed he was still a slave. He was sold into slavery. They didn't even know if he was still alive or not. Okay? This man in front of them that they bowed to, there's the dreams, right? This man in front of them that they bowed to was a ruler of the world at this point. He looked Egyptian. He spoke Egyptian. He used an interpreter. He was wearing what an Egyptian would wear. Could they have any idea at all this was Joseph? Nope. But consider this. Many people today are in an identity crisis with who they are in relationship with Yahweh. Even, even we see this in, in Yosef and his brothers as well. Because how can our brothers recognize Yosef, even prophetically, if we're not willing to see who we are as Israel? Whether descendant from one of the 12 tribes or grafted in, either way, you are part of a covenant and part of Israel that Yahweh said, Yahweh said, would stand forever. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Ruach himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery is, remember we talked about this as we were starting off, right? This mystery that was from the beginning. This mystery is the Gentiles, the nations. That's what the word Gentile means, the people in the nations. The nations are joint heirs and fellow members of the same body, co-sharers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the good news. Coming to Messiah Yeshua, Ephesians 3.6 is telling us you are a part of a people called Israel, not something completely different from. Romans 11.16 and 17. If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches are broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted among them, became a partaker of the root of the olive tree with its richness. In other words, you are grafted in. To what? How can you be grafted into something that doesn't exist? How can you be grafted into something that Yahweh said you don't need to be a part of? If you're grafted into a tree, there has to be a tree. <laughs> so this is what he's called us into. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Therefore, remember your former state. Your what? Your former state. It doesn't mean what state you lived in before. It meant who you were before. Before you were redeemed, before you were called out, before you had this covenant relationship with Yahweh, this is your former state. Remember your former state. Gentiles by birth. But then you go on reading and it says, because you were in the Gentiles, you didn't have a place of covenant and a place of relationship. But in the Messiah, Yeshua, you who were far away from him have now been brought near and grafted in to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel and, and be joint sharers of the promise. So when you, you're born again, you're new, you're redeemed. Guess what? You have a new identity, literally. And you're a part of his people that he's called out. In reality, Joseph had a dual identity. Call it dual citizenship if you wanted to, right? Did he renounce being a Hebrew when he was made to look Egyptian? No, he never did. You don't see anywhere where Yosef said, oh, I, I now cease from disassociating myself from the family of Jacob. 
Never happened. So he was something, but he was being portrayed as something else. He appeared to be one thing, but in fact, he was another. Judah went through exile many times. We see the scripture where Judah would go into exile, but what would happen? They would return. They would come back. Judah would maintain their identity on who they are in exile. How about the northern kingdom? When the northern tribes went off into exile, did they maintain their identity as who they were? No, they became assimilated. Just like the scripture tells us, don't do it. Scripture says, do not go into the nations, seek after their gods, and, and, and to see how they serve their gods and serve me that way. He says, don't do that. But that's what the northern tribes did. Judah, when they went off into exile, went off into these things, they maintained their identity still today. And that's why he says, what, what did the Jewish people do? They maintained the integrity of the Torah. They kept the Torah for the nation. But now what's our responsibility in that? To learn to walk in it. And I learn to join together. If we say we are one with Yahweh, then we need to learn to be one with our brothers. How about this? The encounter between Joseph and his brothers is the fifth in a series of stories where clothes played a key role. Yaakov, he dressed in Esau's clothes and goat skins. And goat skins. He was a hairy man. Very hairy man. Like a goat. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, anyway. The coat given to Yosef, which the brothers bring back to their father, stained in the blood, saying a wild animal must have, must have seized them. Tamar, taking off her widow's dress and covering herself with a veil and making herself look as if she were a prostitute when Yehuda would come along. The robe that Yosef left in the hands of Potiphar's wife while escaping her attempt to seduce him. And here are where Pharaoh dresses Joseph. What they all have in common is deception. Every single one of them. They cause a situation in which things are not as they seem. Five stories, the single thought. Things are not necessarily what they look. That's a lesson we can learn, isn't it? You don't judge a book by its cover. Things are not necessarily the way it appears to be. Appearances are deceptive. Appearances can deceive. Remember, persona means mask, right? So they were all talking about garments. What is the Hebrew word for garment? Beged. But the word begad spelled the same way as also betrayal. So if you're going to, to judge by only what is seen, you can be betrayed. So you have to be careful. Looks can be deceiving. They're not always what they see. What are we supposed to do with Scripture? Walk by faith. Not, not by sight. Walk by faith. Hear His voice. Yahweh looks at the heart. We need to learn to Shema. Hear Israel. He, we're not told to look at that, Israel. Because what happens? There's always something shiny. Always something to get our attention. Always something to draw our eyes off of something else. Yahweh says to hear it. Because if you hear it with your own ears, you hear, you know. Because you hear, you receive, you do. It's on you. It's your responsibility. And that's what your life and you are living. You ever walk into a situation where things are not necessarily as they seem? That's what we're talking about. Hear, Israel. Shema. Hear and do. Appearances and reality are sometimes opposite. True? How about Saul and David? Appearances and reality are sometimes opposites. Okay? Uh, Jonathan Sachs puts it this way. Saul looked the part of a king. He was literally, Scripture, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. But he lacked self-confidence. He allowed the people, or he followed the people rather than leading them. And that ended up being his downfall. Samuel rebuked him with the words, You may be small in your own eyes, but you are the head of the tribes of Israel. 
He's saying the self-confidence that he needed to lead. He didn't have it. He was like, he looked the part of a king. He didn't have the heart of a king. That's who the people wanted as a king. It's not who Yahweh said they should have. Yahweh picked who? David. David looks the opposite of his role. David was not a very tall, very big man. Matter of fact, remember when he went out to fight Goliath, they put Saul's armor on him? How do you think he looked in that? He's like, I cannot maneuver this. I can't work in this. Saul's first, Samuel's first instinct was to choose Eliav, who looked like Saul. <laughs> yeah. Jesse's, Jesse's boys all come out there, and he's looking through. Prophet comes out, and he's looking, and he's just not getting it. Just not getting it. Which one of, the, which, which one of these boys is going to be king? I know it's one of them, because God said it's one of them. Which one's it going to be? He finally looks over at Jesse. He says, ain't you got another boy? What does he say? Yeah, there's David, but he's, he's off with the sheep. He's off. You don't want him. He's, he's, he's the runt of the flock. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't want him. But who did God choose? God told him, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He told him, don't look, don't, 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 don't look who I tell you to look at. Not with your eyes, with his eyes. And so that's how we need to learn to see ourselves through his eyes, what he has called us to do. Who are you? Not by what you say. Who are you? By who Yahweh said. If you don't know that answer, time to get in the book. Judge by appearances, and you could be missing the point entirely, and you could even miss the kingdom. Yeshua said, you will not see the kingdom with your eyes. It doesn't mean that there's not a kingdom literally that we're going to see one day. What he's saying here is that this, if you're just looking in this, if you're just looking for someday, somehow it's going to be just like this, you're going to miss it. Because in Luke 17, 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming uh, with, with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. One, he could be saying, guess what, guys? It's me as one, but he's also telling them the kingdom of Yahweh is within you. In other words, it's, it, we're always looking for something better, for somehow, some way, waiting for the ultimate of everything to come, when Yahweh is saying, what are you doing today about it? What are you doing right here in your midst about it? How are you living today regarding it? And that also affects who you say you are. So whose kingdom do we desire to live in? We desire to live in the kingdom of the world. We desire to live in the kingdom that Yahweh has established for us. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For once you were darkness. Think about this for a second. Stop. It did not say, for once you lived in darkness. What does it say? You were darkness. For once you were darkness. But now in union with the Lord, you are light. Not like, so now you have light. No, now you are light. Because if, it is, if he is the light of the world and he is that light that lives in you, guess what? You are light. No longer in darkness, but the light that is life lives within you. Yeshua said, I am the light of the world, but he also told his disciples, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? It means be light, to show that life wherever you are. So if you are light, back in Ephesians 5.8, Walk as children of light. If you're light, live like it. If you are light, let it shine. For the fruit of light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And lastly, 1 John 1, 5-7. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and keep walking in darkness... We're lying and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another. 
And the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us. If we walk in light, then we're going to have fellowship with his people, with each other, with our brothers and sisters. We're going to help to build the kingdom here, and we're going to help to establish the heart of the Father here until he comes. Amen?